On the block, on demand. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win my 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take a shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! champions this is on the block here is your host brent axe ah the here on espn radio 97.7 100.1 espn radio Utica, Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board today. You can listen online. They do have the internet on computers now. Or you can do what all the hip cats are doing. Do people still say that? Are there, are there still hip cats out there? Well, if there's not, I'm bringing it back. Okay, hip cats, get off the car. What movie is that from? E, any way you listen... We welcome it. But there's the ESPN app. That's what all the hip cats are doing, man. You get that iPhone, you get the app, you hit listen, you find ESPN Syracuse, and off you go. And see, here's the thing. It's it's holiday week time. You know, today is actually the busiest travel day of the Thanksgiving season, right? Today. Not tomorrow. It's today. A lot of people take tomorrow off or have a half day off or whatever the case may be. Zing, zing, zoom. Get out to grandma's house. See, Listening on the app is a beautiful thing because you're going out of town. Maybe you're going to visit grandma. You're going to visit whoever you're going to visit for the holidays to eat turkey and argue about politics. Yay, democracy. And fall asleep watching football, the great turkey nap. I mean, all the great Thanksgiving traditions, but you want to keep up with what's happening here on ESPN Syracuse. Well, that's what the app is for. So please download that. And no matter where you are over the Thanksgiving break, you can keep in touch with us right here. On ESPN Syracuse. Here's how you get in touch with the show today. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. Got a lot to dig in on today. One hour from now, we are going to check in with the athletic director at Syracuse University. John Wildhack will join us on the program for one of his uh, semi-regular chats with us here on the block. Always appreciate the opportunity to catch up. With John Wildhack, football on the mind, basketball on the mind, a terrific national championship won over the weekend. You know, a Syracuse athlete won a national championship over the weekend. You know who it is? If you don't, we'll tell you all about it. Cool Black Friday sale going on for Syracuse sports fans that we'll tell you about. And uh, perhaps today could be the day that it will not be due diligence, but actual news made on the Carrier Dome. Everybody keep your fingers crossed. So we'll do that with uh, Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack about an hour from now, 5.05. He's scheduled to join us. Hot takes, as always. I'm debating whether or not to play that LeVar Ball CNN interview because it's one of those things that it's like when you come downstairs at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and you're like, I shouldn't eat that cookie. I'm going to eat that cookie. It's going to be good for the two minutes that I'm chewing, swallowing 
and can taste that cookie, but I'm going to regret it later. That's that LeVar Ball CNN interview. So by the time we get there, I, we'll see in hot takes. We've got plenty of Syracuse basketball to discuss. How about your boy Pascal Chukwu? Dominate inside last night against Oakland. No rest for the weary. The Orange have today off, but we'll play again tomorrow against Toledo at the Dome. Take a few days off. And then Maryland, Kansas, UConn. That very important stretch for the Orange to come. But We will uh, dissect, look back at last night's game. But we start with a clarification. Now you'll recall, I came on this radio program yesterday, and I, with the asterisk attached, that we would talk to Dino about this. Okay, what did he mean by this? But if he thinks, if I think he thinks what I think he means by this, that, that makes sense. That he was sort of pointing at the community and the fans and saying, hey, we've all got to learn how to handle success better. That's how it came across. He used the word community. We read the quote. We played the clip, right? And, you know, we should do that again. Play the clip from yesterday and then play the clip that I got from Dino Babers today as part of our weekly conversation that we have with the coach here on the program. We got him to clarify a little bit on what exactly he meant by handling success and handling the comings and goings of Syracuse football. And where they're at right now. So pardon me, because I want to have some context here in case you missed it yesterday or didn't read it. I'm just kind of, and Seth, maybe you can help me out here. I'm trying to find what Dino said yesterday at his press conference, and then we'll play what Dino told me about this today. And I'll give credit to Dino in this sense. I don't want to build it up too much before we play, because I want you to hear it for yourself. But, you know, he owned it. He owned it, and he admitted that he kind of used the wrong term In describing it, it sounded odd. It didn't sound like something he would say. We discussed it yesterday. We had a few people on the show yesterday listen to that, and some people were kind of like, hey, you know, that that doesn't fit. That's wrong. Some people called it Bush League. And, you know, throughout the whole thing, I kept saying, now we'll ask him about it. We'll see if this is exactly what he meant, right? And as it turned out, the answer is no. Thank you, Seth. We're finding this clip because Brent and computers sometimes don't play nice. Okay, so here's what he said at his press conference yesterday. You know, my, my disappointment was in the, uh, in the way as a community that we handled it. And I hope that next year when the opportunity comes up, we handle it a different way. We need to be mature about the way we go about our process. When we're sitting at a situation where we, great things can happen and we're willing to uh, look so far down the road, when really we need to just look right outside the door and keep doing the job that we're doing so that we can have an opportunity to get to the fruits of those rewards at the end of the season and not necessarily jump the gun, you know, and and talk about the future when we still had a lot of work to do. We still had a lot of planting, a lot of seed, and a lot of watering to do, and we're already counting our chips with our crops, and we don't even know what in the hell happened yet. And... uh, you know, it, it's exciting. I get it. It's a new experience for us. I understand that part of it. And I get, you know, I get that you guys get to write about it. And that's really cool. But as, as a team and as a, as a community and as, a, and as a university, you know, there's steps to it. 
you know? I can think back to my children when, you know, they got their tricycle, and then, then they got their bikes with the wheels on the side. What do they call them, training wheels? And then the very first day that you took the training wheels off, and then you're running behind them with the bike, getting in better shape than they are. And then all of a sudden, you're running behind them, and you don't have your hand on the bike, and you're just running next to them, and, and they don't realize that they're pedaling the bike by themselves. And then they're taking off going all over the neighborhood and you're worrying about cars hitting them because they're flying around corners and doing all kinds of crazy things. Those are the processes to learning how to ride a bike. And it's no different than the processes that the team has to go to to learn how to win. Okay, so that was Dino yesterday. And it was that beginning part in particular saying the community had to be mature and learn how to handle winning. And before that, as Mark Larson, our friend from Spectrum Sports, was asking the question, Dino kind of chuckled and he was pointing in the front row. So clearly it was kind of saying, hey, you guys kind of helped build up that hype after the Clemson win and, you know, maybe we got ahead of ourselves there. You heard his analogies there, put the car before the horse, whatever you prefer. So knowing all this, I discussed it yesterday. What I did not know is that he kind of hung out afterwards for about 10, 15 minutes, talked to the media, kind of, you know, I don't think a lot of it was on the record. It was just kind of a, hey, State of the Union kind of thing. And they, you know, people clarify what he said. And, okay. Knowing in my back pocket that we would have Dino on the show as we usually do, I said, okay, well, this is how I read it. This is how most people read it. The media coverage of it came out. We wrote about it at Syracuse.com. You know, it was out there. I said, okay, well, we'll ask him on the show. This is why we have the coaches on this show every week. That's one of the great advantages we have. That's one of the great things you get by being a listener of ESPN Radio Syracuse. You get Dino every week. You get Jim Beheim every week. John Wildhack, regular guest on this program. That's great. We need access to the, the big decision makers and the big people in town sports-wise to hear what they have to say about these things. So knowing we have that in our back pocket, I asked Dino today for an interview that we recorded that will run in our usual weekly chat. Now, it'll run on Wednesday as opposed to Thursday for obvious reasons this week. So let's take a listen to what he said. Well, basically what I what I meant was I actually used the wrong word. I don't write speeches or anything like that. I like to just go up and do cold turkey, If whether people believe that or not. I've done every talk or every speech I've ever had like that since I've been hired here, and I just used the wrong word. And I wanted to use the word football family instead of community. So it just came out wrong on the spur of the moment. And then and then I came back and I looked at it and I'm like, ah, shoot, that's not what I wanted to say. And, uh, you know, so basically I just used the wrong word. What when, I wanted to say was football family. When you say football family, how much does that extend to, you know, the fans, the media, the people that are outside the building but are still, you know, people that consume the product, so so to say? Well, I, I, I don't think it extends. What the fans and what the media gets to see is, is what we put out on the football field. And we appreciate the love and we appreciate the affection, but some of the stuff is a little bit different. The football family is, when it's not game day, it's the people that are inside the building, the, the custodians, the, the administrators, the ones that are around all the time. And we have to, we have to do a better job of handling success is the way I look at it. I think that the fans have a right to be excited. Media has the right to write whatever they want. That's your guys' jobs. I mean, I think there's an amendment about it or something like that. I think that. there is. Yeah, that's the first one. <laughs> Don't say the wrong one. So, I, you know, that's what I meant. I was wrong. I apologize. I'm sorry. And, you know, hopefully everybody understands that that's, it's the There you go. So that is Dino in an interview that will air in full tomorrow, but that is 
the meat and potatoes of what he meant by yesterday. Sometimes one word can sway you a different way. We've all been there. I do radio every day. You know, we do write notes and plan segments, but this is not scripted. Sometimes something comes across the wrong way. Somebody brings it to your attention. And you say, oh, that's not what I meant to say. Fair enough. And Dino knew. He owned it. He went back, got some feedback on it, saw how the story was written, the quotes were accurate, and said, well, that's not what I meant. So I'm glad we got the opportunity to clarify that today. Because I think that rubbed some people the wrong way, but at the same time, it felt odd. It felt different. I said this on the show yesterday. It just felt like a misfire. Like, that's just not like Dino. Now, the the irony of this is we're talking about handling success when they are in a term of adversity here. Having lost two in a row, they need to win on Saturday to at least have some tangible, literal evidence that you were a win better than you were a year ago. Because if you lose this game, even though I think we all can agree, as reasonable adults, if you have watched 10 minutes of this football team this year, they are better. They are going in a different and better direction. But wins are wins. Results are results, and that is what you are judged by. The people that do not immerse themselves in it, do not cover it or watch it as closely as some of us do, see four and eight. And we'll just say, you didn't improve. What are you talking about? Yeah, you beat Clemson, good for you, but you're still four and eight. And those are the fans you got to win back. As much as some of you that listen to the show, you know, this is a sports show, so a lot of people out there are passionate fans, but as I always remind you, do not underestimate the casual fans out there. Yes, I'll use the word, the fairweather fans out there that don't care about this as much as some of you do. Some of you can tell me the third string, you know, long snapper within five seconds. And that's great, but you are in the minority. Most people out there watch the game, they read a little bit about it, maybe they listen to the show. They watch it on the news like they are casual consumers of Syracuse football. It is those fans that round out the Carrier Dome when it's really humming. When it's 45, 46, 47,000 people, it is those fans that make up for the games where you only see 30, 32,000. And this weekend could be an example of that. It's, It's a holiday weekend. Students are gone. The team will not qualify for a bowl game no matter what happens this year, win or lose, of course, on Saturday. So the casual fan, many of which will be out of town, just kind of says, eh, whatever, I'll watch it on TV. Getting them to be there and be engaged in it is a discussion we have a lot on this show, usually in the off season. But those are the fans you got to get back. They're the fans that are harder to convince. No, no, no. Did you watch this season? Did you see how they almost beat Miami and almost beat LSU? Were competitive against NC State, beat the number two team in the country, which everybody knows. Lost their starting quarterback for the last few games? Yeah, I don't know what happened to the defense in the last few games there. You can't blame everything on injuries. But those that follow it day to day know the reasons for this. And they also know, look, this is a team that's heading in the right direction. I think we all can reasonably agree with that. Those are people that say, fire this guy, fire that guy, make this change. They're just impatient and don't understand that this is part of a process. you got to be realistic about it, right? It's not that this doesn't have faults and doesn't have things that need to be addressed and fixed and looked at, and 4-8 and eight does not look good if they lose Saturday, no matter how you slice the pie. So that's why this is an important game in the sense of 
at least have some evidence on your side. And Dino Babers is big on faith, belief without evidence. We're going somewhere. Well, you, you do reach a certain point where you kind of need to show us something. And he has along the way. Virginia Tech and Clemson are probably the biggest things in his back pocket, but now you got to build on that, right? So I'm glad that he clarified that because the way things can, again, perception's everything. If you don't take the time to listen to that entire quote in context, if you didn't take the time, as I told you on this show, watch the video, look at what he's doing. What does he mean by this? We're in a soundbite society, drive-by, Twitter, this, that, social media. It's easy to make sweeping judgments on things. So that's why I wanted to talk to him today and say, you know, hey, did you mean what you meant? And the answer to that was no, here's what I meant. That happens sometimes. So there you go. Take it as you will. We'll take a break, come back, talk some hoops. Pascal Chukwu, can he keep this up going forward? Because Jim Beheim came into his press conference last night, and the first thing out of his mouth was, that's what we were missing last year. We will build on that discussion next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. We're here at the guard spot. We're moving up on those shooters better than we did last year. And, uh, you know, last year we one of the worst three-point defensive teams we've ever had. And as bad as our defense was last year, it wasn't great. We were still only about ninth in the league. It wasn't like we were 15th in the league. We're just used to being better than that. But uh, we let people shoot high percentages from the perimeter and that's never, never a good thing. That's Jim Beheim last night following Syracuse's win over Oakland. I think uh, certainly it's young uh, in the 2017-18 season. We're just four games in, and game five is tomorrow night, so nobody's getting a trophy for this, but certainly the best all-around game Syracuse has played this year. And a big reason why, and this is why Jim Beheim harps on this time after time, defense. They forced 23 turnovers, got 19 points. No, reverse that. 19 turnovers with 23 points off those turnovers. Pascal Chukwu with eight blocks. It seems everybody chimed in on the defensive end. Merrick Doljai, again, all over the court. Didn't even score last night, but had a great play. Kind of gets the ball behind the back. Tyus Battle goes the other way. Everybody's chiming in on defense. O'Shea Brissett's rebounding. It's it's the grit stuff. It's great that Tyus Battles providing highlights, and O'Shea Brissett's attacking the rim, and Frank Howard certainly appears to be a much better offensive player. His confidence level is up, and I'm as curious as anybody and have to you know, put that note out there, what happens when the competition steps up. But this is when you build up that confidence, get those reps in, and this very busy stretch that Syracuse has here. Saturday, Iona, last night, they took care of business. They did not get a push in that game like they did against somewhat against Texas Southern, certainly against Iona. We'll see tomorrow. Toledo is a team, frankly, I don't know a lot about, but I know they beat Oakland. And you're playing your third game in, what, five days? And, you know, you never know. It's the night before a holiday and how people's minds wander. They're college kids. You know, weird things can happen there. And then they get a little bit of a breather, and then you go, Maryland, Kansas, UConn, in which I don't think I can overstate that could decide your NCAA tournament fate because the critical thing 
that was missing a year ago was non-conference wins. Now, that's what Oakland could turn out to be. And I wrote about this a bit on Syracuse.com today. hope you got to check out the recap as usual. There are always two or three games in the non-conference that turn into games that you didn't think would help your RPI, your Ken Palm rating, your overall quality non-conference win chart, because we know what the selection committee looks at. Now, we know what their game is these days, and that's why everybody schedules tougher non-conference games. You want to get somebody that ideally does not go above the 150 mark in the RPI, and there's noted exceptions to that. You've got regional rivalries you do every year with Colgate and Coronelli. I mean, you can't do it every game. But there's been a much more conscious effort to do it in recent years for obvious reasons. Oakland did not have their best player out there last night, and that's a whole other issue. I could do a whole hour of radio on the NCAA's ridiculousness there and why he was not on the court last night and should have been. But, you know, bottom line is they did not have him last night. Syracuse shut down the two other terrific players that were out there. Oakland's got two losses in the books, but, you know, you're going to look up at the end of the year. There's a reason Oakland is a team that people look at as one that can win their league again. And then they're in the tournament, and that only helps Syracuse's cause down the road. Quality non-conference wins. There are some that are obvious, and that's next week with Maryland and Kansas and then UConn the Monday following. There's a couple that sneak up on you that you didn't know about, and there's a couple you cannot slip, as Syracuse did last year, as they found out the hard way. So that's why some of this natural improvement that this team is making, as we just played the clip there from Beheim, is important, particularly on defense. Now, part of this is just, it, here's, stats are not everything. Ken Palm and all these advanced metrics and these things that help us kind of understand sports these days are just another measurement. But it is interesting that according to Ken Palm, Syracuse is essentially the tallest team in the country. And of course, you can get out your tape measure and measure that, but they really dig into this. They played a team last night that by that measure is 247th. So simple math. Pascal Chukwu is really tall, and Pascal Chukwu had a huge game. But it's important that he stays within himself. He's controlled around the basket that you turn those rebounds into points. I think he's showing an athleticism that maybe we didn't think was there or maybe just don't know it's there because, as Jim Beheim points out here, this guy's still at the beginning of his career. You know, he's still in his beginning of his career. You know, he didn't play. He sat out a year, and then last year he didn't really play much. So he's been in college three years and hasn't played. So now he's only had four games. So he's still... As really, literally, as a freshman in terms of his playing experience. It's important to note because he still has a long way to go. Competition's going to step up. Can he do those sorts of things? I don't think you're going to have eight blocks and a near triple-double against some of those tougher teams that I mentioned, but what it provided last night, what we saw was a model of that's what you do. You're a presence inside, get rebounds, Take the easy baskets when they're there. Don't rush it. Just go up. I, there's a couple of times when, you know, I remember talking about this with past big men, and it's just a habit when you kind of grab the rebound, dribble when you don't have to, and go up. But, you know, that's just something that comes with, with reps and time and maturity and coaching. Last night, put aside the opponent. Because at 7'2", you're going to even tower over some of those good teams. 
What Pascal did last night was stay calm, stay confident. Just play. Don't think. Just go back up with it. And again, showed a little athleticism when maybe we didn't see it. Now, Jim Beheim mentions here that on the screen, <laughs> there was one call, and I believe it was Mike Waters who pointed this out, so correct me if I'm citing the wrong person here. But So there was a call during a timeout when they did. Let's listen to Beheim first. He said his stance, there's a new rule, you can't have a wide stance in it. He didn't move. I mean, his. I, mean, he, I told the referee he was maybe four inches wider. I mean, you don't call that. You just don't call that. No, you don't call that. That was the calm version, the on-the-court version, and rightfully so, was a much more upset Jim Beheim, and he's right because Pascal Chuku is seven feet tall. He's going to have a wider stance. You've got to give a little bit there for a guy who's that big. He takes up that much space because he's that much taller than most people out there. The other thing that really impressed me last night, look, this just in Ty's battle is pretty darn good. He scored 18 points in every game this year. He is the engine that drives this bus, and if he's off, it's really curious to see who can step up. And it's not just scoring. It's it's the confidence, it's the leadership, it's just this take charge attitude that he knows. And I flipping a switch is kind of an overused term, but you kind of know when you're up against a Tyus battle is going to have an answer. Now that being said, I was really impressed with Frank Howard and continue to be impressed with Frank Howard. Here's what Beheim said about him last night. He's a good player. He's a year older, he's smarter, he's shooting better, he understands the game better. He's playing very well. That's what I see. A guy that is not only understanding the game better, the confidence is there, the mix of shooting the ball. He had a couple really nice drives. Someone's got to anchor this thing. Tyus Battle's the one who takes over. He's essentially the point guard, right? Because it just feels like he is because when he just gets the ball and takes over. But Frank's the one that's dishing out seven assists last night, is controlling the offense, has to be the level-headed person out there. And that's a lot on somebody who just a year ago lost his spot in the lineup, in the starting lineup, and was looking over his shoulder at every mistake. That's a big jump for him to make, and I understand it's only four games in, and the competition level's about to really heat up here. But it's the same thing with Pascal, and it's important with a young team. You've got to have a good game in order to know how to have a good game, if that makes any sense. You've got to feel it. You've got to do it. You've got to cite something because you could have the greatest day in practice ever. It doesn't matter. If you don't go out there and play against somebody in different colored uniforms and have the confidence to be like, okay, when I was playing my best, it was in this game. Pascal needed that. Frank needs that. O'Shea Brissett was told by Bayheim, and again, younger player kind of finding his way, but don't hang around the perimeter. Attack the basket. Well, that's what he did. Last night, here's Beheim on that. You know, he went to the basket better tonight. He didn't take uh, any threes, and he got to the basket better. He missed two or three that he'll make. Uh, you know, you look at his numbers. He had 11 points, nine rebounds, but he missed four foul shots, which he won't. He missed two layups, which he won't. So, if you take those out of the equation, he has about 18 points, and uh, you know, and, and nine rebounds. So, that's pretty good. That's all you can ask. Miss layups, don't miss threes. Don't keep jacking it up. If he can hit it when he's open, and if he's hot, he's hot. You ride it. You kind of have to monitor that. But 
That's the kind of game. He has to have that game in his memory bank to cite. That's what we're doing right now. That's what you're seeing right now. Hey, O'Shea, remember the time I told you to stop shooting from the perimeter and attack the basket against Oakland? Do that. Bayheim needs that in his Rolodex, too. His mental Rolodex to go back to and say, do this when you did it against this team. When you have a veteran team, you got a bank full of it. Now you're opening new accounts. That's why a clean game like that was so important last night against a good mid-major. It doesn't matter when you do that against Cornell. It doesn't matter when you do that against, and again, this list is getting smaller these days, but against teams that you know you don't feel like you're accomplishing anything. That's a good team Syracuse did that against last night. They played the cleanest game they've played all year. I mean, they had some turnovers, but certainly the best played game, defense, players that need confidence gaining it, all told, all told, exactly what the doctor ordered. And they get to do it again tomorrow, right before the holiday. On that note, we will take a break. We can certainly take your calls and thoughts on Syracuse hoops here, but I may or may not do something in hot takes with that LeVar Ball audio from CNN. I'm leaning no, or maybe we can play a special edition of How Long Can I Take a Take, this time from LeVar Ball and not Stephen A. Smith. Maybe that's what we'll do. I'll decide during the break. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You are On the Block. It is presented by Burdick Toyota. We are so glad to have you here. Turkey Day approaches. We'll be here tomorrow. One more show before we head into the holiday weekend. Our weekly chat with Dino Babers. Little football talk, preview the Turkey Day football weekend, and the off will go. So uh, one last show tomorrow, then we'll be off the rest of the week. John Wildhack joins us top of the hour, the Syracuse AD, right now. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's hot take it. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Now, we have an update on the Will I uh, Do the LeVar Ball audio, essentially play our favorite Hot Takes game, How Long Can I Take a Take From? And in this case, it would be LeVar Ball, and he was on CNN, and apparently it was a bleep show, which it always is with LeVar Ball. You kind of know what you're getting into when you book him. So that audio was not there during the break. Our boy Max is currently loading this in. So depending on how quickly the computer has it, I may or may not play. How long can I take a take from LeVar Ball? Maybe there's other powers kind of interceding here. (laughs) Maybe there's a reason it wasn't there. So stay tuned. For now, uh, we will do this. We will hear some audio from someone else. Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick's the... Head coach of the Patriots, um, he says that uh, you know he's really he's, he's not in a hurry to play another football game in Mexico. Please be a Navy man, but uh, just want to give a shout out and a big thanks to uh, General Silveria and uh, his great staff at the United States Air Force Academy for the hospitality and the the week that we had there. Um, you know, this has been a, a three leg trip for us: um, Denver, Colorado Springs, and Mexico City, and uh, we've really Asked a lot of the players, uh, asked a lot of our organization, and 
they all delivered. Uh, we had a you know a great whatever nine days, and uh, I think we really got better as a football team. But we you know we met all the challenges that uh, we needed to meet head on and try to work through them. Uh, I thought again our, our players gave a great effort tonight. Uh, they came out and performed well. That's Belichick on Mexico, and listen, these teams, some will flat out say it, the players don't hide it. Belichick had a very cordial way of saying it there. They don't like doing this. They don't like playing in Mexico. They don't like playing in London. They don't like playing in Toronto. They don't like playing anywhere but the good old U.S. of A. I mean, even some West Coast trips are enough, like when the Bills have to go to L.A. or the Oakland Raiders Soon to be Las Vegas Raiders have to come and play the Jets and so on and so forth. I mean, that's a long trip and you're back and jet lag and they hate it. Now, given the choice between playing a game a year in, say, Mexico City or London or playing the Thursday night game, I bet you they would prefer who's up for a trip. But that's the very cordial way of Bill Belichick saying that uh, we, he was actually kind of peppy in that club for Belichick, right? We would prefer not to uh, play football games then, except. In the United States. Yay, democracy. That's right, Bill. That's hot. So are you guys familiar with catfishing? You remember Manti Teo, right? Got catfished and there's this whole show on it. I don't know if it's still on or not. I've never watched it, nor will I ever watch it. But if you're not familiar with catfishing, again, uh, Manti Teo kind of introduced us to this phenomenon. But if you're not familiar, here's what it is. Catfishing refers to a person who creates a fake profile on social media to trick someone. Okay, the term came into common usage with the 2010 documentary Catfish, later an MTV show of the same name that explored online dating. See, this used to be the guy that had the girlfriend in Canada, right, and could just make it up. Now people literally do this on social media. So Ray Allen, retired NBA star and star of the terrific film He Got Game, for which Jim Beheim was wrongfully snubbed for a Best Supporting Actor nomination, like he was in Blue Chips as well, uh, has asked a court to throw out a case where he's accused of stalking someone he met online. See, Allen filed an emergency motion in a Florida courtroom Tuesday, a day after Bryant Coleman told the court he's being stalked by the 10-time All-Star and two-time NBA champion. Uh, That doesn't sound like Ray Allen. And Allen said Coleman's the one who's stalking, saying, quote, Coleman pretended to be a number of attractive women interested in Ray Allen, said the motion filed on his behalf. Ray believed he was speaking with these women and communicated with them. In the filing, Allen said that Coleman threatened to reveal details of their conversations and that the sides eventually struck a deal to keep everything private. Allen said that the deal has been violated and that Coleman has continued to harass him and his family through several social media accounts. Said the... Filing, he posted about Ray's wife, Ray's children, Ray's dog, Ray's homes, Ray's wife's restaurant, and numerous other personal items. Coleman not only posted about these things, he would actually post while physically located inside Ray's wife's restaurant in Orlando. And he would make sure they knew it, tagging Ray and his wife on these posts. See, this all sounds like some kind of comedy skit, but this is serious stuff. I mean, Manti Teo is the extreme... But if you are a public figure, if you are particularly a very rich public figure, someone that has the time to do this and the online tools to do it, and it's easy these days to do this, even, you know, the old adage of, you know, the 
the guy in his mom's basement, right? But people have computer skills these days. They have very good computer skills. They can build these profiles. You can fool people, okay? Look at the presidential election last year, and I'm talking about both sides. The And the term fake news has been thrown out of whack, but there was literally fake news going around social media, again, on both sides, that people bought into because it all just looks the same on your Facebook feed, and you can't tell the difference. And when you have a, and now I'm getting into a political rant, but now when you have a president, you know, who is trying to discredit the media and call everything fake news, people don't know what the hell to believe anymore, right? So we're just in this mass chaos here. This has been happening for years, just not to win an election. It's to blackmail people, to blackmail celebrities. So Ray Allen, for him to admit this, so for Ray Allen to get out of a stalking charge, he has to turn that around and say, I'm being catfished. And a lot of embarrassing details come out about being fooled into thinking you were talking to attractive women online, and it's just such a 2017 thing. But in all seriousness, it freaks me out. My kid's 11 years old and is kind of stepping into this online world where everybody's online, and I work online for a living. So it's it's something that I'm well-educated on, but... Boy, parents have fears about this stuff, but think about online bullying and stalking and catfishing and how easy it is for people to just fall in these traps these days. And I could really do a whole show about that. I don't want to freak you out here. This isn't, you know, Dateline NBC, but to hear Ray Allen describe this, it's like, do you know how That's hot. easy it is for people to be suckered these days? Ah, uh, scary stuff. It really is. So, you know, bottom line, keep your guard up. Be skeptical. Right. Question things. Don't just accept that. And it's the old adage. There's a great commercial, right? That great. What is that? State Farm commercial. Where that I'd have to pull it up to see it again. But, you know, he's that French guy. Bonjour. (laughs) This is what happens. This is what happens out there. If it's online, it must be true. Scary. All right. Now, let's see if we have our LeVar Ball audio. And if I'm even going to play, how long can I take a take from LeVar Ball? Because I know you want it. All right, so let's see. I feel like we need a drum roll or something. All right, kids. Moment of truth. Did it make it into the computer on time for me to do the segment? How long can I take a take from LeVar Ball? And the answer is drum roll, please. No, the answer is no, it is not there. It is not there. So I spared you. I spared you. That is correct. You will not play. How long can I take a take from LeVar Ball? Unless I'm looking in the wrong place, which is entirely possible, if you know me and this computer, which Seth just has to come in here and breathe heavily and say, get out of the way. But I know I'm looking in the right spot. It is not there, so I spared you all. So basically, in a nutshell... LeVar Ball went on CNN and yelled a lot and would not admit that the president of the United States got his kid out of China, which he did. Okay, silly one about President Trump and your feelings on the current president. Yay, democracy. He got those kids off in China, got them home. LeVar Ball and Donald Trump, two people that love to get attention for all the wrong reasons, going at each other. Yeah, I just, I I think I'm going to spare us all that. By the way, uh, today was the annual pardoning of the turkey at the White House. Must resist joke about turkeys. 
Don't do it. Don't, Brent, don't do it. Don't, 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 don't do it. Don't tell the joke about the president being the first turkey to pardon it. Don't do it. Don't. Stop. Stick to sports, Brent. Stick to sports. That was close. I almost said he was the first president in history to pardon a turkey as a turkey. Back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.